the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, on today's program, a special guest. In fact, for some of you, even a familiar voice as we're visiting today with the senior pastor of Trinity Bible Church of Morgan Hill. And pleased to have join our conversation, Pastor Manny Pereira. Pastor Manny, welcome. Good to have you with us. It's great to be here. Thank you, Craig. We are looking forward to uh, getting a chance to kind of uh, peel back some of the layers of the onion, so to speak, and uh, share with our listeners a bit of first what God is doing at Trinity Bible Church, and then a bit of not just your heartbeat, but also what God has been doing in uh, your walk. Walk us through. Um, I understand you were raised in a mainline denominational church, high on ceremony and tradition, but... Clearly, there must have been something going on in your life that said to you, as a young man, you really hungered for more. There was a desire for that sense of not just religion, but relationship. Walk us through that and what God did. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Greg. Obviously, I, I, I share this with, with a delight in uh, the gospel of Christ and just to encourage everyone to hear um, how he moves in lives. I Yes, I, I was... I was involved. I was an altar boy and involved very heavily in the church, um, high church and very structured. Um, there was a crisis that took place when I was in my junior year, the summer of my junior year of high school, a crisis in my family, and which led us got, by God's providence um, to um, uh, another church, a Protestant church that was preaching the gospel. And uh, we were there for only three months. And in that three-month time, as I was sitting there week after week, uh, I heard uh, the gospel preached. I heard uh, the gospel explained. I heard the uh, explanation of the substitution of Jesus Christ, how his death on the cross was a substitutionary death. It was a death in the place of sinners, and that it was God, truly God, truly man, therefore sufficient to take away sin and yet capable of bearing uh, the punishment and dying in the place of the sinner. And, and when I heard the gospel explained clearly from the scriptures in that way, suddenly all the images that I had for years learned and become familiar with, all those images suddenly came together like a puzzle piece and it, and it presented a brilliant masterpiece before me. I, I, I saw something glorious and beautiful. And for the first time, I realized, wow, this, this is what the gospel is about. This is what Christ on the cross is about. This is, this is, this is amazing. And, and there was, you know, John Bunyan, the old Puritan, wrote a story called Pilgrim's Progress. And there's a wonderful illustration he has. Uh, the, the character, the main character, his name is Christian, fittingly, and he carries this, this load on his back. And when he comes to the cross, when he comes to realize the gospel of substitution, it was as though, and as he 
embraced it by faith, as he saw the glory of it, and he responded by faith, uh, truly believing, uh, trusting that it's true, but embracing it, it, it was at that time that Bunyan describes uh, that back, that load on his back was just released. And, and I can tell you, Greg, that that's what happened when I was 17 years old uh, in this church that I wasn't familiar with. I heard the gospel, the puzzle pieces came together, and I saw how, how the gospel promises me forgiveness. My sin is punished on Christ. And now by faith, he, I render myself to him and receive him as my Lord and Savior. And in that moment, there was a tremendous relief and there was a tremendous joy and there were tears. But I, I tell you that that was something that, that revolutionized, changed my entire worldview. I, I, just to sum up then what happened after that, that's still quite a story and quite a, quite a journey. I, I received a, a Bible and, and I read the thing uh, cover to cover several times over and over. I read it so much that the, the, the thing, it, it fell apart three times and I had, to, I, had to, I had to repair it. I didn't have the money to buy a new one and I didn't want to because I knew where things were in this particular Bible. And so I repaired the thing with cereal boxes and duct tape, you know, several times over it was so the point is i i read the scriptures and i and i began i was so hungry to know this gracious god and um we went back to the church that we were attending and um i you know continued along the way until there was an encounter there that um i was confronted with uh with the challenge that they said I was quoting too much of the Bible and I should be quoting other documents. And uh, there was this situation where they said I couldn't interpret the scripture. I need the magisterium in Rome to do that. And there were things of this nature that really, um, really caused me to examine, examine the teaching of the church. And that really drove me, and I'll end here, Greg, that, that drove me to, uh, to study history and to learn more about the Reformation. And since we're in the month of October, I thought it would be fitting to even just encourage our listeners to understand, you know, understand what happened in 1517, October 31st. Um, and, and, and so through that journey, I, I read a great deal of the Reformation, and that, that really created a burning flame in my heart to, to make not only to know Christ more, but to make him known. And I think that's what set me in a trajectory, really, by the grace of God to enter into ministry. And I think it's fascinating because so often I think there's a shared experience many times with people that have been raised in a, a traditional faith. And it could be anything. I mean, it doesn't have to be a high-level liturgical church. You can be a Baptist and right. have sort of the, this is what we do. We go to church on Sunday. We put an offering in the plate. We do this. We do that. And we, we tend to identify so much of our faith based on what we do. And when the complete revelation, I think, when, when the Holy Spirit really totally reveals Christ's personality and character and God's heartbeat to want to be reconciled with the creation, his creation, unto relationship, and then begin to realize as we're kind of going through this routine and sometimes we are laboring because we either are working to get saved or working to keep saved, mm -hmm. and suddenly when the paradigm shift really quickens and it makes the 18 inches from the head to the heart and says, wait a minute, this is not about what we do, it's about what he did. 
Wow. I mean, there are so many, and you use the term, uh, a burden lifted from your shoulders. And I think so often that's the shared experience that people sort of go around, even if they have a sense of, of this is what we do, but there's still that sense of guilt, sometimes even shame. There's not really that quickening of an understanding of the separation between us and the Heavenly Father. And that joyous substitutionary work on the cross as you put it of jesus paying the price on our behalf taking on our penalty for our sins both our own actions as well as the inherited adamic sin and then to recognize that god so loves the world Mm. and so much wants to be in relationship with his creation that he would send his son to die on a tree, that through that substitutionary work we might be reconciled unto the Father and enjoy the fullness of that relationship. And I think it's, wow, not only is it is it burden lifting, it is life changing and clearly changed the trajectory of your life. Today, a conversation with Pastor Manny Pereira, Senior Pastor of Trinity Bible Church of Morgan Hill. We take this brief time out back to more of our dialogue in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're talking today with the senior pastor of Trinity Bible Church of Morgan Hill, Pastor Manny Pereira. Pastor Pereira, let's pick up the conversation where we left off a moment ago. I'm curious about something. I don't want to get too deep into the the weeds here, so to speak. But so often, Pastor, and I know this is going to resonate when I share this with listeners, we oftentimes are criticized. We'll hear people that are outside of the faith that will say, well, you Christians, you know, all this faith stuff, yeah, that's okay, but, you know, that's like having faith in Bigfoot or in the Tooth Fairy. You kind of check your brains at the door. You kind of disconnect from a logical standpoint, a scientific standpoint, a historical standpoint at all, as if somehow to suggest that you have to kind of um, feign ignorance in order to have any kind of a faith. And yet I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that you're not only a man of degrees from a theological standpoint, uh, for the benefit of the listeners, and Pastor Manny has his uh, MD from Master's Seminary, but you also have two applied science degrees, and at one time you worked at IBM's Almaden Research Center, which tells me you're no intellectual slouch. So was there ever a time in your life that you struggled with this notion of check your brains at the door to exercise your faith? Was there ever a time that you had to work to sort of find that intersection between your your faith and your your scientific ability to judge and to analyze and to draw conclusions? It's a great question, Craig, and it's one that's very relevant for us in our day, especially. Uh, I would say yes. Very simply, yes, there, there was clearly times of struggle, uh, times of questioning in my mind, doubts that I had to wrestle with. And I would say that uh, part of my story of reading that scripture, the, the Bible over and over, part of that thrashing of that particular material item was, uh, was due to this fact that I, I, was, I was wrestling with, with the things I was doing on my academic you know, route. I mentioned that I came to Christ at age 17. I was still in high school. I was entering into my senior year. Um, but it was through the course of, again, providence, the course of events, I, I found that, um, that physics came easy to me, uh, and I enjoyed it. I loved to tinker with things, and I loved to deal with uh, specifically with electron theory. 
And uh, one thing led to the next. And by the grace of God, I was able to, uh, you know, to excel in, in that particular field. When I was a freshman in high school, I was actually I tested out of physics for high school and began to tutor the seniors. And so that was just, a, a again, a mark where I realized uh, later in life that this is not something uh, that I have to boast in, only it's a gift that I recognize. Not everyone can understand these things, and I happen to be able to understand them fairly easily. So I was very, very grateful uh, for that. My, my point now to share is that, you know, I went through college and excelled in that field and uh, was able to lead projects that went to state fairs. And uh, I was, uh, there were several different job offers before I graduated uh, to, to build satellites and put them into space. And uh, and so Almaden Research Center was where I ended up, uh, up here in the Silicon Valley. It's one of eight laboratories in the world. And and again, by the grace of God, I was I was delighted. I in physics, I, I specialized in magnetism and electron theory, and and at the time, uh, you know, Arc Arc Almaden Research Center was the leading um, was the leading disk drive research in the world. So it was we dealt with magnetized you know disk drives. That's what brought me to this area, and. Uh, and so we came here, and I just delighted in that. The short end, I would like to just share one other thought, is that, you know, through the years that I was there at the laboratory, um, God had been so gracious to grant me opportunities to, to go all over the world and be able to be the uh, a chairman and a co-chairman of two different international working groups in the GGF, which is the Global Grid Forum. Uh, so I served uh, teams of people, of scholars and, and scientists uh, from all over, uh, in, in trying to standardize uh, different different technologies to enable experimentation and the sharing of information, I was appointed as the team lead for the CERN project in Geneva, and um, so lots and lots of opportunity. I rubbed shoulders with lots and lots of people, and the worldview of that of that whole sector uh, is is was something that that challenged me personally to reconcile it with my faith. And uh, the short of it is, I, I would have to say, I came to a place where there were lots of questions I had. How can this be true? How, how can this be true when this is what science says, when this is what you know my teachers are saying, and so forth? And really, it, it might sound simplistic, but I would encourage, Greg, I would encourage all who, who think about this, who hear this voice, I would say, please consider... I came to a place where I realized, you know, we were all operating on faith, that that those that I interacted with in the scientific realm were um, very, very intelligent people, very accomplished, very capable. Their work ethic was often very stellar. Um, you, you don't get to those levels without that kind of quality. So I have a deep respect for that level of their commitment and their ability. But what I did find out was that, but yet they still operated on faith. And and it really, it came to a place of what is considered presupposition. It came to a place where they were operating on one set of presuppositions, and I realized I was operating on another. And it got to the point, if I might just share this briefly, you know, one time I was I was giving a lecture in uh, Cologne, and uh, and and also in Brussels, Brussels, Belgium. And I, I got to tell you, the, at the University of Brussels, it was a fascinating time. I was doing this uh, lecture there, and uh, we we concluded the night. It was late into the night, and most people wanted to get home. It was a conference, and so we had the next morning to go. But after hours, uh, 
we, we entered into conversation. I can't recall all the details that led us there, but what happened in short was we got into a debate uh, over gravity, right? And so, because I'm dealing with physicists, and so we're on the board drawing out equations about the first fundamental force of the universe. This very empirical reality of 9.8 meters per second squared accelerated upon every, you know, every every aspect, every particle of matter. And, um, and, and as we began to deal with that, we realized, you know, I began to challenge the worldview that says, wait a second, where does that, where does the energy come from to act upon that matter at an acceleration uh, where does that come from? Because it, it, that force requires a source of energy. And and no one could answer. I had the best minds in the room. And no one could answer. And so then uh, what happened was we began to debate, and, and I, actually, I actually brought them to uh, a biblical presupposition, and that is that God reveals that he created and that he actually sustains that creation and upholds it by his own power. Mm-hmm. And what was fascinating was that immediately there was a, uh, a, a distinction that was made, and a realization between the two camps. And one was neither of us could empirically prove, but both of us held to presuppositions. And so to, to just finalize this, Greg, I would say, you know, having seven years in a laboratory, having several degrees in science and, and, and leading lectures all over uh, the states and, and, and out of the country, um, I can tell you with great confidence that uh, a true, true science, science that is based upon empirical observation with, with problem observation, hypothesis uh, and, and deduction and reproducibility and falsifiability as an empirical means to discover what is true about matter in motion, that kind of science, the kind of science that, that creates airplanes and cell phones and computers, that kind of science that, that is able to that we can we can predict and, and move forward in design and engineering, that kind of science will always be in perfect harmony with the truths of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So I came to realize there was no conflict and that the key distinction is this presupposition. We have to, and that's what the Bible calls faith. Today, a conversation with Pastor Manny Pereira, Senior Pastor of Trinity Bible Church of Morgan Hill. We take this brief time out back to more of our dialogue in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're talking today with the senior pastor of Trinity Bible Church of Morgan Hill, Pastor Manny Pereira. Pastor Pereira, let's pick up the conversation where we left off a moment ago. So many of the principles in relationship to science and electricity, for example, Ohm's Law, call them laws, irrefutably so. And yet, the one question we we seem to never be able to fully answer for ourselves, and that is, if there is a law, there must be a law giver. I'll never forget years ago, having a a conversation with Dr. Michael Behe of Columbia University. He is the scientist that ultimately put forward the the hypothesis, began and then proved out, uh, of the bacterium flagellum. Yes, And as he was doing research in the origins of man and trying to ascertain, you know, was it uh, as described in Genesis or was it more along the lines of uh, Big Bang Theory, right? The Darwinism. And the deeper they got, 
they came to certain conclusions that the likelihood of this happening by chance and coming together with such a degree of organization Going back to the notion, again, of the bacterium flagellum, and listeners, I, we won't take the time to unpack that, but you can mm-hmm. look it up on the Internet and, and have a fascinating read that basically says when you reach the point of irreducible design, removing one single aspect, that suddenly it completely falls apart and fails to function. They had to come to the conclusion that while they could not necessarily from a scientific standpoint say, yes, we are in now complete harmony and agreement with the account in Genesis, they had to conclude one thing. It could not have happened by accident, and if intelligent design, therefore an intelligent designer, as much as the notion of if law, a giver of law. And I think it's fascinating because at the end of the day, then, we're seeing a growing body of scientists from a variety of disciplines that are reaching the same conclusion, that there are simply things that we've not been able to understand until we add the faith component in that helps us look at the concept of intelligent design and of course we from a christian viewpoint would say well that intelligent designer has a name it's god it's the lord it's jehovah jireh it's the maker of heaven and earth it is he who has always been and always will be and it's fascinating because suddenly you begin to realize that contrary to the notion that somehow science disproves our faith Those that have an ear to hear and an eye to see begin to realize just the opposite is happening. Exactly. Exactly. That's wonderful. I I so appreciate it. I wanted to go there, but I know we're we're limited on time. (laughs) Well, and and, and I think it's important for the benefit of listeners and, and going back to the heart of your faith journey to understand that the notion of checking your brains at the door in order to be a passionate Christian is simply a falsehood. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I appreciate you circling back to that. And I would just encourage all of our listeners just to understand, um, you know, I spent 30 years in education and I can tell you there was a time where, yes, the question was, does faith is faith? Uh, should it be in any way conceived as credulity, as as a matter of a blindness, a leap into the dark? Is that what we're talking when we talk faith? And I would say emphatically, no. Faith is a trust in a claim. And, and the claim is coming from Scripture. And the trust is invested through that claim into God, the very author of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the issue is not that, that somehow I, how I came, overcame by the grace of God and resolved this tension of my scientific studies and work and the Bible and my salvation in Christ and the growing conviction in my heart to, to love him more and to make him known. Those two things, I, the, the resolution and the harmony that came was because I, I again, came to realize that faith is not checking my brain at the door. And saying, I have this scientific education, scientific knowledge and experience, and these are the things of of reality, tangible reality, empirical experience. And and, and yet faith is that kind of thing that's, you know, outside of the microscope. It's something you can't see. And and therefore, uh, you know, it's sort of like you said earlier, it's sort of like, you know, on par with Bigfoot or the Tooth Fairy or whatever you want to say, just a leprechaun. I mean, no, no, that's not that's not what we're saying. 
That's not what we're saying. What the scriptures reveal is that is that faith is a receiving of a truth claim, a receiving of it, assenting to it intellectually, and trusting in it on the basis of the credential and the character of the one revealing it. Now, that really is what the Bible does. It reveals God to us. It reveals his heart to us. It reveals his, his amazing and awesome attributes, and it reveals supremely his Son. And in Christ, we have one of, of superlative quality, one who is beyond question uh, the most admirable character that has ever been known among human beings, one who is most trustworthy, one who comes in the name of love to seek and to save the lost and to take their punishment in their place. This is the one who says, trust me, believe me. And and that's he's calling our faith in that way. Now, how you reconcile that with science is to understand it. You know, at, at the bottom, you're trusting in something. When people trust in a worldview that says we're first going to presuppose that there is no God, and we're going to presuppose laws that we can't explain, we're going to presuppose matter, the existence of matter that we cannot explain, we're going to presuppose that these laws are going to be fixed and they don't change or evolve. I mean, isn't that an interesting thought? People want to talk about evolution, and evolution operates on what? It operates on laws, but why don't the laws evolve? There's all kinds of inconsistencies at the foundation. So, my point is, when you look at the nature of what a worldview does, is it, it, it has to presuppose certain given elements of reality. And based on those presuppositions, then you begin to construct all your other beliefs and what you subscribe to, what you trust in. And Scripture simply calls us to say, know this to be true. That at the end, you cannot, you cannot find all things out. You do not have exhaustive knowledge. You will ultimately be reduced to trust. Every time you get in the car and you turn the key, you're trusting. You don't know how all that works. You don't know every detail of it, but you're trusting. Every time you get in an airplane, you're trusting. Every time, you know, you're trusting. And the question is, who are you trusting and for what end? And that really is the harmony. When you get to the point where you realize, you know, science works because there is intelligent design. Science works because there is uniformity imposed upon creation. Science works because, and I can expect it to work here or work anywhere in the world uh, under the same circumstances because God imposes a uniformity. Naturalists cannot explain these things, but I can because my presuppositions point to a sovereign God who rules the universe. Well, I think the other core point that you're making here uh, and an underlying principle, I think, that everybody needs to understand, and that is this, that there's no sense of, okay, we finally arrived. We know all that there is to know. I was always fascinated by the story uh, that back at the turn of the last century, there had been great debate going on in Congress that perhaps it was time to shut down the United States Patent Office simply because at that juncture in the opening years of the 20th century, well, we we had 
recorded sound. We had seen the invention of the light bulb, uh, the advent of, of moving pictures, uh, so many inventions that they thought, okay, we've kind of, we've kind of, you know, exhausted our, our technological capabilities here. So there's not going to be much more need for the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine <laughs> how much more has come along subsequent to that. But here's the interesting point, I think. And that is, as I think you're suggesting, Pastor, that this does not suggest somehow that acceptance of Christ's work on the cross and the existence of God is somehow the denial of our intellect. I think rather it is a continuation of that exploration, of that learning, to embrace the fact that man is far more complex than we thought, that we are not simply limited to our intellectual experience, but also there is a spiritual side to who we are. And perhaps you're suggesting that there's been a, a body of scientists that previously were kind of like the folks at the patent office. We've, we've done it all. Then suddenly have <laughs> realized, oh, wait a minute, there's more complexity to mankind. And so yeah. now to begin to explore the claims of Christ and look at the, we talk about the harmony of the Gospels, look at the harmony between scientific fact and scripture that repeats itself over and some people, well, wait a minute, though, you know, to really believe we need to have a reporter, you know, but they weren't there. Well, wait a minute, though. We have an abundance mm-hmm. of eyewitness accounts. People say, well, the harmony of the Gospels, there's some inconsistencies. Well, sure, different people, different viewpoints, different perspectives, all giving the same account. It's like the report of, you know, somebody at a crime scene. Ask the police interview 10 witnesses. They get 10 slightly different accounts, mm-hmm. but all viewing the same scene. And so I think that notion of being able to embrace both our intellectual side and to acknowledge the spiritual side, and then ultimately that deep hunger that each of us have, that, that God-shaped vacuum to want to experience relationship with Creator, though we might not early on be able to articulate it that way or understand it that way. But then as the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to us who God is and the sin that separates us from relationship with the creator and understand again back to that substitutionary work on the cross that christ did on our behalf to accept that to embrace that to repent to then be reconciled that will then set the pathway for relationship with the very creator of the universe now that ought to set off fireworks and go pow bang whiz bang in one's brain Yes, amen to that. Yeah, if I if I might, Greg, I so appreciate all that you said there, and I would just echo with celebration. Amen and amen. Um, you know, one one quick comment. There's so much to explore here, but I would say the more I have studied um, in my in 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 ministry now, the more I've studied history, the more I've studied the faith and the faithful. I have to tell you that I have been thoroughly challenged and deeply impressed by how the intellectual giants of the past in science uh, were Christians, or at least subscribed to a Christian worldview. Uh, we're talking the, the leaders, the most advanced minds. In fact, I would just give one example. There are many, many. I, I happen to have a, a great affinity for the Puritans. And so I love to read uh, the Puritans and in their works and contributions and their thoughts. They were intellectual giants, uh, yet they were the, some of the deepest, most humble hearts among Christendom. Now, one example 
is Sir Francis Bacon. Sir Francis Bacon was the son of a, of a Puritan separatist. And at the time of the, the changing of the throne in England, in fact, at the establishment of the UK, uh, the king, in fact, King James, the same King James that uh, the, the authorized version of the Bible is named after, uh, he was alive during that time and his father was persecuted and they were, they had, they were separatists, they had to go and running. Well, this same young man uh, was raised under the strong convictions of Sola Scriptura which is the description that the scripture alone is the authority in life and rule and practice. And, and, and so from that now, here's the story. Uh, he became an intellectual giant. He was uh, strongly influential in all the academies of, of uh, England in particular, uh, Cambridge, Oxford. And he became uh, the founder of the Royal Society of London and was truly the father of modern science, at least in terms of the scientific method. The scientific method was initially and originally formulated by Sir Francis Bacon. So he articulated that in about 1617, and, uh, and modern science was born through the Royal Society. They began to collect. Now, this was all from a very strongly committed biblical Christianity, and they were incredibly intelligent men. There was no conflict between their, their intellect and their discovery and their, and their work ethic of science and their true, deep, and pervasive faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I would just commend that as one example. There are many, 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 many more. And I think it's, again, one of those things we have to remember, look into history and see how we got to where we are. Uh, we really are living in a time of an, an anomaly. Uh, it is an anomaly that science would be uh, in some way in conflict with, with Christ. It has never been that way since the birth of science. This is a modern anomaly. And perhaps also indicative of not only the times that we live in, but from an eschatological standpoint, because let's face it, the enemy is going to come in and try to cast doubt and division. So we've read the book. That's certainly no surprise. Today, a conversation with Pastor Manny Pereira, Senior Pastor of Trinity Bible Church of Morgan Hill. We take this brief time out back to more of our dialogue in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're talking today with the senior pastor of Trinity Bible Church of Morgan Hill, Pastor Manny Pereira. Pastor Pereira, let me ask you this. For the person eavesdropping on our conversation today that says, a little bit of what you've said resonates with me, but then part of this just, I don't know, this Christianity stuff seems to be like a lot of religions, just hocus pocus. And I see so much uh, sense of inconsistency in not only the message, but in the messengers, modern day, uh, and, and so much hypocrisy. I just don't know how to go about and, and find a way that I can harmonize all that, 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 that some way I can make sense of all of this from a scientific standpoint and a faith standpoint and the reality of the behavior of some people that I see today. What do you say to that individual? Well, I would say this, first of all, that hypocrisy is a real problem among all people. And uh, in different degrees, certainly. But in reality, uh, hypocrisy describes one who outwardly presents something that is not entirely true inwardly. Uh, at, at its most extreme, it is, uh, it is a complete opposite 
one presenting themselves, for instance, as a true follower of God when in their heart they're not. That's the kind of hypocrite that Jesus, uh, you know, indicts and, and rebukes in the Gospels. Uh, those who presented themselves religious and yet their hearts were far from God. But there are degrees of hypocrisy. Uh, wherein we present uh, an outward appearance, and yet our hearts are not perfectly true to that. But I would say this, very important, that that kind of hypocrisy, the kind that shows a discrepancy between what others hear and see and what your heart really loves, is common among all people. And I would say for those who want to point the finger at the church and say, you know, the church is just full of hypocrites. Why would I go there? And my response, Craig, would be simply this. Hypocrisy is everywhere. The reason we gather in the church is because we gather to make much of the only one man who was not a hypocrite. The only one. There is no other that is perfectly free of hypocrisy. None. No other. Christ and Christ alone is the only true Man, true on the outside as the inside, perfect between both his expression and who he really is and what he really loved. And my point is, of course, there's going to be hypocrisy in any given church. The, the, the reality, though, what we have to ask ourselves, those who might be thinking in these categories is, but is there hypocrisy in your life, in your heart? Do you want people to see you better than you really are? Do you want to sound really better than you really think? Uh, do, do you want people to see things that you, uh, you don't want them to see that are in your heart? You know, and, and you have to ask that question. And if that's the case, and if that causes, you know, if that causes you some question in your heart, if that challenges you, then I would encourage you, you know, you need to come to a, to a Bible teaching church so that you would see the one and only who was never a hypocrite and learn how he has loved you and how you can be made new in him and grow with increasing integrity to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And finally, Pastor, for the person listening who is perhaps struggling to reconcile scripture with science where where would you on that that journey recommend that they start that's a great question i you know one thing i would say is is this cannot this can this should not be a journey in isolation you shouldn't try to do this alone um, there are many great books or many great resources out there. The Internet's full of information of all kinds. Uh, and I could recommend books. But I would, I would rather recommend, Craig, that, you know, you shouldn't take that journey alone. And instead, I love your emphasis earlier in the program where you stress the importance of relationship. You know, we are relational creatures. And I think there's a danger when we disconnect our intellect from the reality that we're relational. And I think, therefore, that our intellect should be formed even in relationship. And there needs to be also, if we add now the hypocrisy element, there ought to be accountability. And so my, my recommendation, if someone's struggling with that, is to really find a solid Bible teaching church. Again, I really believe that it's important to take that journey with people that you can trust, people that you can see their lives and trust their character and that you can come alongside, ask them questions and help and and allow them to speak into your life and help to guide you. There are plenty of people 
who have wrestled with these things before. And it is most helpful and edifying to, uh, to, to listen to them, be humble, be uh, teachable, uh, be willing to be challenged and change your views, uh, be committed to what is true and not what you want. Be committed to what is true over what you feel or what you've come to know uh, or what you have always just accepted. Uh, we ought to be pursuers of truth. And I think, again, just back to the relational dynamic, it's important when we're seeking truth that we seek it in relationship, that we don't otherwise, otherwise, uh, we might deceive ourselves. And we might we might justify our own thoughts. We might uh, see our own way as right, as the Bible warns us over and over and over. And if we do this on our own, we come to our own conclusions without any accountability. So my encouragement is find a good place where there are people you can come to know and be loved by and love and, and trust them and then walk this journey and pursue truth. There is oftentimes the, the false impression, the incorrect conclusion that somehow Christianity discourages questioning uh, and requires mm-hmm. the so-called blind faith, as we sort of alluded to around the periphery earlier in our conversation. But actually, Scripture just says the absolute opposite. It says to, to, to test or to try the spirits to see if they be of God and to come and let us reason together. And so that certainly underscores, Pastor Pereira, exactly what you've said on that point, that if you're struggling with many of these questions, to come and to get involved with a Bible-believing church where you can actually get solid answers, where questioning from a scientific standpoint and a scriptural standpoint is not discouraged. In fact, if anything, it is encouraged. And undoubtedly, as you head down that road, as you begin that journey, the more that you seek answers, I believe that God will be faithful in revealing to you answers that you will be satisfied with, not only in terms of satisfying your your intellect, your scientific side, but most importantly, satisfying your spiritual and relational side, which at the core, as you point out, is exactly how we're designed to function in the first place. Pastor, with all that said, as our time winds down, take a couple of moments, folks that have been eavesdropping, saying, wow, I like what Pastor Manny has had to share. I'd like to find out more about Trinity Bible Church of Morgan Hill. So take a couple of minutes and tell us what God is doing. Uh, well, thank you, Craig. I, I'm, I'm blessed to, to serve here uh, among really a lovely church. I, I have to say, um, I wrote a little booklet called uh, the you know, the magnificence of the church and how the church is a precious bride of Christ. And each local church is, is to be a model of that precious bride. And And I just thank God for the church among us. I, I love the church and I'm grateful for the privilege to serve her. I'm excited what God is doing among us. Uh, you know, one of the marks that I see at God is at work in the lives of people is that they receive the word, not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God. And when I see that, you see people growing. They're growing in in their humility. They're growing in their love for God and one another and compassion for the world around them. Uh, They're growing in integrity. They're growing in holiness. Uh, So I'm so excited to see uh, everything from widows to young singles to families um, growing in the Lord and, uh, and with a growing hunger a growing hunger to not only know him more, but to make him known. And so I'm thankful for that. We've got people coming from 
some from great distances, in fact, just because of uh, the, the love that they experience, the, the kind of community and, and family that uh, God has blessed us with. So, so I'm very, very grateful. I would say that the, one of the key uh, centers is that we, we like to say here that the church exists to make much, not of the church, but of Christ. So, our, you know, one of the things I would like to just communicate is we're not I'm not out here. I'm not on the radio right now trying to just promote a local church name. Uh, we're not in this. I'm not a pastor to promote to promote my name. Uh, the reality is we exist to promote Christ for God's glory and man's joy. And uh, that is something that the people have have really adopted and have and are growing in. And it is a wonderful thing to see. We also see uh, lots of new people coming to Christ, you know, after this whole craziness with COVID, uh, there was a lot of a lot of people left the state. We lost 24 families uh, who, who moved out of state because of various reasons, business, politics, all kinds of things. Uh, but but God has been, you know, gracious to us as a local body, bringing new people coming in, many of whom are new in Christ now, just since COVID have had questions, some from, uh, you know, a lot of them from the medical profession, some from, uh, you know, law enforcement, some from, you know, technology. I mean, we have a lot of high tech people among us and, and some, you know, with a scientific mind. I have a couple of guys who are in science and, and I got to tell you, you know, they have questions and they come. Some of these people are coming to Christ. So we see people, we see salvation happening among us. We see people growing. There's a love for the Lord. Uh, there's just a lot of excitement. Uh, and I'm just so grateful for the privilege to share that. God is doing amazing things and uh, it's wonderful to just see him work and be a part of his uh, of his work so and what a joy to, to hear you share about not only that relational growth that spiritual growth that that iron sharpening iron growth uh, which is so exciting and certainly if you're new to the San Francisco Bay Area or looking for a new church home we invite you to uh, any Sunday morning drop by and visit Trinity Bible Church they're located at 16100 Caputo Drive in Morgan Hill and you can get complete details online by simply going to trinitybiblechurch.org. That's trinitybiblechurch.org. Service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and then midweek Bible study at 7 p.m. And you can call the church for more information if you so desire at area code 408-762-5800. That's 408-762-5800. Or once again, online at trinitybiblechurch.org, where I think not only will you find a very warm welcome, but also you won't be required to check your intellect at the door. So we invite you to come and check them out. Pastor Manny Pereira, we sure appreciate your heart, your passion, your sharing of your experience and sharing what God is doing at Trinity Bible Church. Thank you so much for your time today. It was a true blessing and an honor. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.
Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.